Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. We understand here at One City Church the power of presence. Presence is powerful. Whether you're referring to the presence of God or the presence of a true leader, especially those that are anointed. But presence is powerful. It has the ability to create connectivity, to step into a room and to connect people together to build a team. It has the ability to inspire people to reach higher and to go further than they ever would have alone. Presence has the ability to shift the moment, to shift organizations, institutions, communities, a church, a nation. Leadership has the ability to bring direction. What people are longing for today is leadership. Leadership that will give them direction. Not managers of ideals and projects, but true leaders that can stand up and say, this is the way, let's walk in it. Power, excuse me, presence is powerful. Presence can be transformative. It can transform people's lives. How many of us here in this room would admit that our life was transformed by some leader, some man, some woman that, that inspired us and challenged us and equipped us and mentored us and presence leaders can be transformative. It is uh, amazing to watch as leaders can, uh, and sometimes on the negative side, leaders can bring people underneath a spell. We see that, how that men and women can stand before a group of people and with their presence, they can bring people underneath a spell and lead them in the wrong direction. Uh, presence can transform circumstances. It can shift the moment. We see that with Jesus again and again as he walked into a situation and his very presence would transform the circumstances. Blinded eyes were opened and men saw. The dead were raised. The broken hearts were healed. Jesus had the ability to change circumstances. Presence can shift the atmosphere. I've watched as men and women would step into a moment and they can either lift the atmosphere or they can bring it down. It's amazing, just amazing to me, the power of leadership and the power of presence. And you have to know this, that presence isn't just something you know as much as it is something you experience. You experience the presence of God. You experience the presence of true leaders. Transformational presence can produce extraordinary outcomes. It's amazing the power of presence, the transformative power of presence. Presence is therapeutic. Now, we've said this before that uh, by truly being present with patients, nurses now know that they can bring true comfort and care. They're, they call this therapeutic presence, and they're teaching this in hospitals now to nurses that when they go into a room, they go into that room and they're encouraged to be there, not only in their, their physical presence, but their emotional, their mental, and their spiritual presence. They talk, they talk about therapeutic presence, and we've preached this here, how that the presence of God is therapeutic, that you can be in a service like this, and the glory of God can come into the room, and, and it's therapeutic. It brings healing to us spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It brings healing to people. It's a therapeutic presence. You see, there have been life-changing moments created by a life-changing presence. 
Life-changing. Now, it's natural that our minds would drift towards the presence of God. And, and that's true, and that's included in this, but I also, want your, I also want you to let your mind drift towards the presence of men and women. Life-changing moments can come out of life-changing presence. Men and women that take their place and that truly bring about a difference and a change. There's a song that we sing by William McDowell called When You Walk Into the Room. And it's said in this song more than once, when you walk into the room, everything changes. Everything changes. When God walks into a room, everything changes. But when Jesus as a man walked into the room, everything changed also. Never underestimate the power of presence. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 20. Let's pick up verses 19 through 23. John chapter 20, the gospel of John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Let me set this story up. This is the day of the resurrection. It's on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. You remember the story of the women went to the tomb, found the tomb empty. They found Jesus. Jesus said, go tell my disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. You remember the story. The disciples are in this room and the windows are locked and closed and locked. The doors are locked and, and the disciples are filled with fear because everything has changed and nothing has worked out the way they thought it would. Everything has changed. And they're uncertain about the future. And so with that understanding, let's pick up verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace, now notice this, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands, his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, second time, but a little different, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is labeled in my Bible, the apostles commissioning. They were commissioned in this moment. This was the moment when Jesus said to them, I'm sending you a commissioning of these men on the day of the resurrection. Guys, I'm going to change the title on this. Let's title this, When Presence Walks Into the Room. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you for the anointing that makes the difference. We ask you to speak to us and lead us through this story. And may we pull out the truths that you have for us. And may you speak to all of us. May we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. amen. Let's talk about this commissioning and what happens when presence walks into the room. The first thing I want you to see in our story is this is a challenging moment for them. They put everything on the table. 
They've left their business, their families, their reputation, everything to follow after this evangelist from Galilee. And now he's been taken, he's been falsely accused, he's been beaten, he's been crucified, he's, 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 he died and he was put in a tomb and these guys are really struggling with what's going on. You can imagine what was going on with these gentlemen and they were afraid. They were afraid what the, the high priest, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, what they did to Jesus, they're going to do to them. And so they've locked things down and they're hiding and they're afraid. So the first thing I want to ask you this morning is this, what doors have you closed and are afraid to open? These guys are in this room and they've shut it down. In verse 19, there are two things that I want you to see, in that, or three things in that one verse. It said, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the first day. I want you to mark this as a new beginning. This is a new beginning for them. And you need to hear this statement. The first day of change is difficult because there are no, there are no facts, only faith. There are no facts. This is the first day of the week, and it's at evening time, sunset, and we know on the Hebraic calendar, it begins, the new day begins at sunset. God goes from darkness to light, from sunset to sunset. And so this is the first day of the week. It's at sunset and they're getting ready to go into a new day, a new season of their life and their ministry. It's the time of change and things are different. And change is hard change is hard because when you're going into a new season, when you're going into a new direction, when you're going into change, you have no facts to lean on. You only have faith. It's like he said to Israel when they were going in the promised land, make sure you follow my presence because you've never been this way before. When you take on something new, you've never been that way before. And so there are no facts there's only faith, and that's what I want you to see with these men. The second thing, notice here in verse 19. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. You see, they were in this upper room with the doors shut because they were afraid, and they were trying to shut out the world. They were trying to shut out what was happening all around them. But notice this, the door you close out of fear you're going to have to now open out of faith because Jesus has stepped into the room and he's saying, guys, listen, I know you're afraid, but I need to send you back out there. Now, these guys are standing there. They're going, wait a minute. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Now, again, they saw what they did to Jesus. They beat him beyond recognition. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They stripped him naked. They, they nailed him to a cross. They lifted him up high. They stretched him out wide. And they watched as he took his last breath and died. And now they've locked the door to shut that out. And you have to know that Jesus steps in and says, Now, guys, look, I know you're afraid, but I need you to go back out there. So the door that you close in fear, you're going to have to open it up in faith. Now, I'm talking to people this morning that you feel there's a calling on your life. You have a sense of destiny about you, and it just won't leave you alone. And God's trying to move you, and God's trying to reposition you, and he's trying to pull you into your destiny. And it's difficult. Change is difficult. There are no facts. 
There's only faith. This is a walk of faith. You just got to trust him. And you're going to have to understand that that door you closed in fear, you're the one that's going to have to open it in faith. Jesus walked through the wall. He did not come through the door. You close the door in fear, you're going to have to open it up in faith. And I've done that in my ministry many, many times where I had to open that door in faith, where I wasn't sure what was on the other side of that door. I had to open that door in faith. Recently, as you know, I just ran for the second time for city council. And the first time and the second time both, I understood the opposition that would come against me. And I understood the criticism I would come under. I understood the attacks my family would come under. I understood the attacks my church would come under. And that concern, that list of concerns goes on and on and on, being misunderstood, being misquoted, misrepresented. And it just goes on and on and on. And you're, you see what happens in the political arena in America and how divisive it is and how that we no longer major and specialize as, as, as debating issues as statesmen, but now we specialize in character assassination. And that's how we get political gain now. And so you see all of this and you stand at that door and you know what's on the other side of it and you're afraid, but you have to open it in faith. And so I know it's difficult. Change is difficult. No facts, only faith. I know it's difficult. The door you close in fear, you got to now open it in faith because I understand what's on the other side of that door. Look at verse 19 again. The third thing is that Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. You see, Today, for those of you that are afraid, today, God wants to reset your faith and bring you back into alignment with his purpose. You say, where do you get that from? The word peace here in the Greek that Jesus spoke to them was, it means to join with peace, to set as one again. So see the story. Jesus walks into a room with these preachers that are filled with fear the doors are locked. And this is actually a moment to commission them. And he steps into the room and he says to them, guys, I know you're afraid. I get it. I know there's change coming and I'm leaving. And I'm giving you the keys to the, to the family business. I know there's change coming and you, you don't have a reference point. There's no, there's no facts. You're going to have to walk by faith. I know you're afraid. You close the door out of fear, but I'm asking you to open it out of faith and go back out there and face that mob that crucified me. He says, I'm asking you guys to do this. And so I'm saying, peace be with you. I need to reset you. I need you to get reset. And there are people on this campus and watching online that you need to reset yourself. You need to reset your calling. You need to reset your faith. You need to reposition yourself. I get it. Life is tough. Life is hard. Recently, life has been very challenging. But you've got to reset. The church has to reset. You have to reset yourself. He said to them, peace be with you. You need to attach yourself. You need to join yourself to peace. The word is shalom. You need to reset yourself. You need to establish yourself again and be at peace. Yes. Regarding the call of God that's on your life and what God has laid his hand upon you to do. You've got to reset yourself. You see, your greatest experience with faith awaits you on the other side of your greatest fear. Your greatest fear. 
these guys are in this room. The doors are locked outside. The, the, the Roman soldiers and the mob, they're looking for the disciples. They're looking for the body of Jesus. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. There's a lot of things going on. And suddenly Jesus appears and he looks at these guys and he says, I need you to go back out there. I need you to go out there and face this. I need you to open this door of fear. And I need you to do it by faith. I know you have no reference point. I know you have no facts. I know you've never built a church before. I know you've never gone out there and done this. I know you've never preached the gospel before. I know this is all new territory for you. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you to reset yourself. I need you to reset yourself. I need you to to just gather yourself, gather your composure. And I need you to reach out and grab that door of fear and open that door of fear by faith because your greatest experience in the kingdom, your greatest experience with faith lies on the other side of that door of fear. It's out there. How many understands, had they stayed in that room, had they stayed in that place of fear, they would have never experienced all that they saw. My greatest experiences with faith have always been on the other side of my greatest fear. How many times have I told you the story of, of, of going to Austin and starting a church? Got a house, a place to live, rented a building, needed about $1,000 a week. I had no job at $100 in my pocket. And I didn't even know how I was going to feed my family. And go to the church in the day and pray and throw chairs and holler and scream at God and, and trying to believe him. And again and again and again, I saw miracles as God came through. My greatest fear, my greatest fear, going through that door, going on the other side of that door, I found my greatest experiences with him again and again and again in my life and my ministry when I have felt him calling me into a new season, going into change, taking on something different, something new, something where I had no facts. I'd never been a city council member before. I'd never been elected to political office. I'd never done this before. I'm sorry, but there were times when my knees almost buckled on me as I contemplated what I was moving into. But I also knew that on the other side of my greatest fear was my greatest experience with faith. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. Your greatest experience. The second thing I want you to see here is that God invites you to share in his suffering. Look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw him. Notice there in verse 20, the first thing, he showed them his scars. I want you to know this, that God wants to make himself vulnerable to you. Know this, Jesus walked in the room and said, guys, I know you're afraid. I know you are. I get it. I want you to look at what they did to me. I want you to look. I want you to look at what they did to me. I want you to see what's happened to me. I believe that God wants to make himself vulnerable to his people. I have found that my greatest ministry comes out of the greatest brokenness. Ministry comes out of brokenness. That's why you need to pray. And I'm not talking about me now. I'm not, this is not self-serving. I'm talking about just leaders, all leaders. You have to pray for leaders. 
You have to pray because you have to understand that leaders minister who they are and not what they know. That's where the greatest ministry takes place. It's not what they know that really makes the difference. It's what they've experienced. And so ministers have to go through brokenness in order to lead people out to a breakthrough. Boy, that was good. I, ministers have to go through brokenness in order to lead people to a breakthrough. They have to. And that's why you have to pray for leaders because it's so hard sometimes. And, and there are times when, when the, 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 the load gets pretty heavy and, 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 and I, I go through things and I'm fighting. And I, I, but I remind myself, I'm fighting for my family and I'm fighting for my church and I'm fighting for my city and I'm fighting for my nation and I'm contending for people. And when you give meaning to suffering, it becomes tolerable. And you go through that and you fight and you labor and you, you pray and you intercede and, and you take the hits and you do it. Because because you're doing it because you know that you've got to go through the brokenness in order to lead people to a, to a breakthrough. And so I've learned that. And I found that God wants to take me into his, his suffering. He wants me to understand what he went through. He wants me to understand how he suffered. And he wants me to understand what that was. And God wants to make me, make himself vulnerable to me. He wants the, the father wants to make himself vulnerable to me. God wants me to understand his heart, his passion. That's why I preach to you being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is about being possessed by the life of God. Where now I feel what he feels. I see what he sees. I hear what he hears. I know what he knows. I can do what he does. That's the spirit-filled life. But therein lies the conflict because to truly be filled with the spirit, you carry the burden of the Lord. That's why you drive around the city and you're messed up. That's why you can go to the mall and you can watch people and it will mess you up. That's why you can watch the news and it can mess you up because you carry the burden of the Lord. I carry that burden. When I drive through the streets of Beaumont and I see the poverty and the brokenness and the addictions and the, the darkness and the, all that's taking place, it moves me with compassion. The Bible says that Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion by people. And that's what it means to be spirit-filled and be in the ministry. It's not about the fancy cars and the nice clothes and the traveling and and the glamour, whatever. I've, I have yet to find the glamour, but I'm looking for it. But, but people look at the ministry and the platform and the lights and the television. And they think all that stuff. But listen, the ministry is about bearing the burden of the Lord. Carrying what he carries. And being moved with compassion over the plight of humanity. God wants to make himself vulnerable to you. The story of Gethsemane, which means the, the wine press, is one of the most moving stories where Jesus said to the three friends, could you come a little deeper with me? And Jesus went into intercession and the wine press under so much pressure that the blood vessels in his sweat glands burst and blood came out mingled with his sweat. And he came to his friends and he said, could you not bear with me? This load for one hour. I believe that God today is looking for a people 
that could bear the load with him for just one hour. That's all. Just to bear the load of this nation, of this city, of this community. To drive through its streets and see the prostitutes and the drug deals and the violence and the hatred and all that's happening in our cities. And they have to pull over and sit there and weep over the condition of their community. Moved with compassion. God wants to make himself vulnerable to us. He wants us to be moved by what moves him. Look at it in verse 20 again. He showed them. He showed them. This is what they did to me. And then it says they were glad when they saw it. Because we know that scars are the credentials of the overcomer. I, I don't go to places and, and pull out my wallet and pull out my business card from One City Church or my card from the Assemblies of God and show people my credentials and they go, woohoo, man of God. They don't care about that. People could care less about that. What they want to do is they want to see my scars. They want to know the battles that I've been through that I have fought and won. They want to know I've been to hell and back and then show them how to get back. They want me to talk about the dark nights and the lonely nights and all the rejection and all the heartache and the pain and all that you go through. That's the ministry. That's why Jesus said every day, take up your cross, deny yourself and come follow me. Every day you take up your cross, whatever that cross is. And it's different for everyone. And so when they saw his scars, they were glad. They were glad to see it. He is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. It's one thing to say you're the son of God. It's one thing to die. But it's another thing to come out of that tomb. Everything, everything stands or falls on that fact. Either he's alive or he's not. And if he's not alive, we're wasting our time. But if he is alive and he sits at the right hand of the Father, then everything we put our hope in is true. He stood in the midst of their fear. And he said, look what they did to me. This proves that I am who I said I was. And they were so glad. They were so glad. Scars are the credentials of the overcomer. That's what proves we are who we say we are. And that's what the disciples needed. Your greatest ministry comes from your deepest pain. And hear this, suffering sanctifies you and then it sends you. Yes. <laughs> suffering sanctifies you. And that's preaching we don't hear anymore in our churches. We don't, we don't hear the old time preaching of, of salvation and justification and sanctification. The process of going through the furnace of affliction and being purified and coming forth as pure gold. We don't hear that anymore, guys. We don't do it. We don't do it anymore. And I, and I know right now some of you are getting pretty depressed, but just hold on. It's gonna, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Just hang in here with me. But I'm telling you that suffering will sanctify you. It will. It will purify your life. But then it will raise you up and send you out. I'm telling you, if you want to know where God's sending you, you. Look at where God's breaking you. Oh my God. Listen, I'm telling you, look at where God's breaking your heart. And that's where God's going to send you. Your suffering will send you where he needs you to be because he'll break you first and then he'll send you. People say, I don't know what God's calling me to. What is he breaking your heart over? What moves you? All my life, all my life, before God moved me into a new season, 
before God moved me into a new chapter, he would first break my heart. Break my heart. Before there was city council, there was not in my city. First, God broke my heart. Then God moved me into a seat. He'll do it every time. Suffering will sanctify and sin. The third thing I want you to see here in this story is in verse 21. You need to know that today God reminds you of your calling. That's what this is. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, this time, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The word peace again. It means to, to join yourself to peace, but it also means tranquil soul, assured of its salvation, a soul that's at rest and it has the assurance, a confidence, an assurance. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter one, verse 10, the apostle said, therefore my brothers and sisters make every effort, notice this, to confirm your calling and your election. For if you do these things, you will not stumble you need to settle in your heart right now, your calling and your election. Now listen to me. This scripture in Peter is talking about salvation, and I get that. But I believe it's applicable to the call of God on our lives also. Because I believe we're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Amen. We know that. We're going through that sanctification process, and God has called us out. He's called us from something and to something. And so the call of God is on our lives. And you have to confirm that calling sometimes. You have to confirm your election or his choice. You have to do that. So today, you need to make peace with your soul by confirming God's call on your life. You need to go ahead and confirm that. I'm called to preach the gospel. I'm called to the mountain of government. And at some point, you've got to settle that thing. Okay, listen to Jeremiah chapter 20, verse nine. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. I was weary. You see, you're wearing yourself out resisting the call of God. You're wearing yourself out. Jeremiah said, there's a fire that's in my bones. There's a fire in the pit of my belly. And I'm wearing myself out, trying to resist it, trying to subdue it, trying to hold it down. You're wearing yourself out. You need to go ahead and you need to confirm your calling. I'm not saying you're going to be called to be a missionary to Africa. I'm not saying you're going to call to be pastor. I'm not saying that. But every man and every woman in this room, they know God has laid his hand on them. There's something. We all have that sense of destiny. And from time to time, you have to just calm your soul down and confirm what you're called to do. We all need to be reminded that we're not here to survive, but we're here to be significant. We're not... We, need, we, we, need to, we all need to remember that we're, we're, we're here, we're called, not to come in and, and just spectate, but to participate. Yes. That so you're the church. Yes. You're the church. And I'm here to equip you to do works of service. Everybody's all, uh, people say all the time, well, well when's pastor going to bring revival? Let me ask you a question. When are you going to become a revival? You, you think I bring revival in my briefcase? 
people are always saying, well, when are we going to do that? Well, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? People say, well, I just don't like my church. Well, change it. You become the change. Start with you. You become the change. You become the change. You see, but we don't, we don't do that because we leave it into the hands of the professionals, pastor and his staff, the professionals. Listen, you're the church. And you've got to, you've got to, you've got to confirm the call of God on my life. Whatever that is. You may work at Motiva. You may work at ExxonMobil. I don't care where you work. I'm not calling you into the temple. You may be called into the temple. I don't know. But we're all called. We're all called to do ministry. And you need to, you need to confirm that in yourself. You're never going to be happy until you confirm that calling. You're never going to be happy. You're wearing yourself out trying to survive in life instead of being significant. You ask, people ask me all the time, I don't, pastor, I don't know how you do all that you do. Listen, the way I do it is I draw energy from being significant. I draw energy from feeling like I'm making a difference. I'm energized by doing the things that I do. And if what you're doing doesn't energize you, you better unplug and get away from it because it's draining your batteries and it's not charging your batteries. I'm charged by what I do. I'm charged. That's why I've said to you many times, if, if you're not called to do something, you better get out of that lane. You better, get, you better stay in your lane and do what you're called to do. You okay? Take a deep breath. You're all right. You're going to live. But I want you to notice here that today you need to make peace with your soul not only by confirming your calling and recognizing it and acknowledging it, but you need to confirm God's election or his choice of you. Your election, God chose you. You say, well, I don't feel qualified. Well, I get it. I don't either. But I know that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so you need to just go ahead and confirm your election. You know what qualifies you to do something? You're chosen and you're anointed. You say what people say. Well, I don't care what people say. You can't let people's opinion to define you or your destiny. You can't do that. You've got, to, you've got to confirm your calling. Okay, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I know what God's called me to do now. Well, I don't think preachers should be politicians. Well, I'm sorry. Get over it. And so, you know, I know who I am, and I know what God's called me to do. Okay? I get it. But now... Now I have to confirm my election. I have to confirm it that his choice, he chose me. He chose me. He chose you. I know the plans that I have for you. God knows something about your future that you don't know. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and to give you a future. So you need to settle in to your calling and to the fact that he chose you. You need to get over your insecurities because your insecurities are holding you back from the work that God's called you to do. You've got to allow yourself to settle down into your calling. You know that with the calling comes a grace to endure the call. With the calling comes a grace to endure the call. You're going to make it. Fourth thing I want you to see in this story. And we're going to pick it up. Number four, 
Uh, God promises his presence in your purpose. Verse 22. Okay. And when he had said this to these preachers that were scared, and he's telling them, I need you to walk through that door of fear. And on the other side is your greatest experience in the kingdom. He's trying to challenge them. He's saying, peace to you. He's saying, I want you guys to remember that I called you. I want you to remember. Listen, everybody look, listen to me. I, I'm, I'm stuck on this, but I, I, you need to listen to this. Jesus walks into this room and these guys are afraid. They've closed the door. They closed it. Jesus doesn't come through the door. He just appears. And he says to them, listen, I've come in here today to commission you guys. And I need, you, I need to send you back out there to that mob that, that crucified me. And they're afraid. So he says to them, listen, I want to say something to you. I want to say something to you. Peace to you. Your souls need to calm down. And you need to remember that I called you. You need to remember that you're my choice. You're my choice. I wouldn't have chose them. And, and they're struggling with this. Because you remember in Gethsemane, when they, when, they, when they smote the shepherd, the sheep scattered. They scattered. A bunch of cowards. And now he's trying to commission them. And, and in a moment when they're locked down in fear... Do you, do you see this? I don't know about you, but they're not the ones I think I'd have chose. But Jesus, he, he comes to them and he says, I need you to quiet your soul down. I need you to set yourself. And he said, I, I just want to remind you that you're called. Jesus went through, you know, he, he went around the Sea of Galilee. He went around the countryside. And he walks around and he looks at all kinds of people. There's Sadducees, there's Pharisees, there's businessmen, there's leaders, there's all kinds of guys. And he walks around and he's got to pick 12 men. And he walks around there and he goes, I, I, want, I want that one right there. And then he goes over here and he says, yeah, I'll take him. And then he says, okay, uh, you, you back there, I want you. And these are fishermen and, and guys that, a tax collector. Do you understand a tax collector is one of the most hated people in the culture at that time? Because he's a Jew that's collecting taxes of the, for the Romans. He's a traitor. And he's sitting there at the table collecting taxes. And Jesus walks up and just kind of knocks on that table. Come on, son, God's got an appointment with you. And everybody's looking around. The mother guy's thinking, not him, Jesus. Oh, my God. Not this guy. He's, the, he's hated the most. But Jesus chose him. And so he steps into this room and just says, I just want to remind you that you were my choice. Yes. My choice. I picked you. And now I'm sending you. And I promise my presence to be with you. He said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, verse 22. He breathed on them. The word receive in the Greek means to take with the hand, to associate with as a companion. He said, take the hand of Holy Spirit and he's going to walk with you. I've preached it for years about in John and John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is leaving. And he says to the disciples, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. If I don't leave, he won't come. The comforter, the paraclete, he won't come if I don't leave. 
But if, if I leave, he'll come and he stands right next to you. And the word in the Greek speaks of like a counselor, especially in matters of the law. So he will counsel with you in regards to kingdom principles, kingdom law. And so here he's telling them, receive the Holy Spirit. Take him by the hand and he will be a companion to you. So that as you go through the door of fear, you're going to open that door of fear with faith. And on the other side, there's no facts. You've never been this way before. There's nothing but faith. And you're going out there to face a mob that beat me and crucified me. But I want you to go and know that my presence will go with you in your purpose. It will go with you. And I know that they're concerned. But just like with Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, as Israel is going through a transition, they're going through a transition from being, uh, from being nomads, wandering for 40 years, to now they're going to be settlers. Okay, they're going through a transition from wandering in the wilderness to now they're going to have to occupy the land. And so they're going through a transition. They're going into change. There's no facts because they've never done this before. There's nothing but faith. They're going in and now they've got a new leader. You remember the story, Moses, my servant is dead. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And so you can understand where they are. And, and, and there's a change here. As I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. You see, therein lies the real promise that God gave Israel. You thought it was the property, but it wasn't. It was the presence. See, we thought it was the land flowing with milk and honey, but it's the presence. God said, my presence will go with you. And if you take Holy Spirit by the hand, if you follow his presence, you'll find the property. Yes. That's the thing, guys. We're always so worried about how do we do this and how do we do that and how do we occupy this and how do we occupy that and how do I possess this and how do I possess that? The answer is take the hand of Holy Spirit and if you will receive the promise of his presence, you'll get the promise of the property. It will work its way out. And that's what Joe's Mary was talking about a while ago, of just settling back, quieting your soul, settling down, and let Holy Spirit be your companion. Let him take you by the hand and walk you hand in hand, day by day, and he will lead you to the land that he wants you to possess, and he'll teach you how to kill the giants, and he'll show you how to knock down the walls of Jericho, and you'll do what he needs you to do if you'll just be who he needs you to be. He needs you to be a companion of Holy Spirit and walk with him hand in hand. That was the real promise. That was it. Regardless of your loss through this process, you can't lose if you don't let go of Holy Spirit's land, hand. You, you can't lose. There's going to be battles. It's going to be tough. Stephen, come help me. The last point, I can't linger, but verse 23, he wraps it up by saying to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
The word forgiven, excuse me, forgive and forgiven means to let it go. The word retain and retain means to hold fast and not let it go. Here's the thing. This scripture makes it clear that if we preach the gospel, people hear that gospel and they discover the power of redemption. If we don't preach the gospel, then they're ignorant and they're blind and they never come to that understanding. I don't know that we as a church fully understand the partnership that God is offering us. I want to be real careful with my wording here. He said, in essence, if you preach the gospel of forgiveness, people will come under the conviction of Holy Spirit, they will repent of their sins, and they will be saved. But if you don't preach the gospel, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. But how can they hear without a preacher and how can he preach except he be sent? So do we see the partnership here? Do we understand that when God reveals something to us, that's his invitation for us to come join him? And God's revealed to us the power of preaching and redemption and He's saying, come join with me. I've chosen to save men through the foolishness of preaching, the Bible says. Wow. Do you understand the partnership there between a man or a woman and God? Do we understand? Jesus walks into a room. They close the door in fear. They're afraid of what's on the other side. Jesus steps into the room and he says, guys, I need you to calm down. I need you to to understand what I've been through. And I know you're going to suffer too. But I need to send you out there. Because it's through the foolishness of preaching that my father has chosen to save humanity. And just like he sent me, I'm sending you. I need you to go. I need you to go for me. I need you to pick up where I'm leaving, where, where I'm leaving off. I give you the keys to the business. I need you to do this now. I need you to go. If you don't go, how can they hear without a preacher? He's sending them by faith to walk through the door of fear. Think about that. Partnership of redemption. Do we understand the responsibility that we have? Do we understand the privilege that's been given us? The privilege of proclaiming the good news and telling people, listen to me, the word forgive and forgiven means to let go. The privilege, the privilege of looking at people and saying to them, you can let it go. All the hurt, 
all the brokenness, all the burden, all the darkness, all the emptiness, all the, the, the bondage, you can let it go. That's what it means to forgive and to be forgiven. Let it go. And all their guilt just melts away. But if we don't preach the gospel to them, Jesus said, they're held fast by their guilt. So many times, I go out into Beaumont and I'm doing business with people. And so many times you encounter anger and you just, you want to stop people and say, what's wrong? What happened to you? You can let it go. You can let it go. L listen to me. Forget hermeneutics. Uh, let me get my stuff right. Homiletics. <laughs> Forget all the theology. Forget all that. Let me just tell you the good news that we preach. You can let it go. You can let it go. All that's hurting you, all that's got you all tore up on the inside, you can let it go. I love the battle hymn of the Republic. And that one line, as he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. Let us live to tell men you can let it go. The power of presence. Presence is powerful, transformative, it's therapeutic. And we all get that when it comes to God. But Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. To them God has chosen. Say, God chose me. To make known among the Gentiles. The glorious riches of this mystery. It's a mystery to them. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. So when he... When you walk into the room, everything changes. Never underestimate the power of your presence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.